You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. So we're going to keep going in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew seven thirteen is where we're at. Matthew seven thirteen. So you could take your Bible and open it to there. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, you could just take one of these ones from the seat in front of you. It's our gift to you. It's God's gift to us. It's what he wants us to know about himself and what he requires of us and how we can come to know him actually through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll, then we'll dig in. God, thank you very much for this day that you have made. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the compassionate, kind, encouraging things he can say to us. And also in your face, bold, here's the line things he can say to us. I just pray that everybody here, from the youngest kid to the oldest person, God, that we would come ready to be fed by you so that we could go back into the world and do what you want us to do. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever experienced deja vu? If you don't know what that is, it's that eerie feeling that I've, I've done this before. I've been here before. You think, I've already experienced this, but not quite like this. Maybe in a dream or something. It seems so familiar, but not all of it. Well, that's the way I felt through a lot of this Sermon on the Mount series. I thought... Haven't I witnessed this scene before somewhere in the Bible, but with alterations? Hasn't this happened somewhere else in the Bible? Haven't I read about another sermon on a mountain? So that's why I've entitled it Sermon on the Mount, Volume 2. What I want to do this morning as we enter into this last part of the Sermon on the Mount is parallel two sermons, two prophets, two covenants with the aim that we more fully appreciate what Jesus has been doing on this mountain, these many weeks we've been listening to him in in all these sermons. My goal in us more fully appreciating what Jesus has done or is doing on this mountain is that we might give our utmost attention on the narrow road to life. So two sermons, two prophets, two covenants. Here we go. We're going to read the passage in Matthew that we're focusing on. We're going to be a few places, but I'll get to that in a minute. So Matthew seven thirteen and 14. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there's many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So the two main passages or places will be is, of course, Matthew seven thirteen, which we're hopefully open to. That's on page 860 if you're still looking for it. The other place to put a marker in or if your Bible has one of those ribbon thingies or you have some piece of paper is in Deuteronomy, which begins on page 151. So it'll be in Deuteronomy, Matthew, a couple other places too, looking at this narrow gate and road. So today we're entering into the warning section on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to take us through four different examples 
to show us that his way is not some haphazard, loosey-goosey way or sloppiness, but it's a hard and deliberate, specific way. I want to remind you, I've said this before, Ben said this before, grace, the way of grace is not a way of sloppiness. Grace isn't like, okay, I've got grace so I can live sloppy now. But it's actually a way of empowerment to live deliberately how God desires us to. Because we do have forgiveness, but it, but it's not like, okay, now I can ease off. It's I, all the times I fail, I have grace and I'll keep going. Or to be direct, if we aren't walking on the king's road deliberately, we aren't walking on it at all. We're not on it. That's what Jesus is going to be saying here. So let's honestly consider Jesus' warnings to confirm that we actually have entered through the narrow gate and we are actually on the narrow road and will be numbered among the few that find life. And I want us to actually consider that. I don't think Christians in Canada were used to Jesus warning us. We're not comfortable with that. But I, I hope we can. So let's compare the two sermons. We're going to flip over to Deuteronomy 5. Here's the first sermon. The one that felt like we've done this before. Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 31. I won't read the whole thing. Deuteronomy 5, 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I'm proclaiming to you as you hear them today. Learn and follow them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. He didn't make this covenant with our fathers. He made it with us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire on the mountain. At that time, I was standing, this is Moses, I was standing between the Lord and you to report the word of the Lord to you because you were afraid of the fire and you didn't want to go up the mountain. And he said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. And then it goes through the Ten Commandments, which we might not have memorized, but we're familiar with. And then picking it up in 22, the Lord spoke these commandments in a loud voice to your entire assembly from the fire, cloud, and total darkness on the mountain. He added nothing more. He wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. All of you approached me with your tribal leaders and elders when you heard the voice from the darkness and while the mountain was all blazing with fire. You said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we've heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that God speaks with a person, yet he still lives. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we'll die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For who out of all mankind has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the fire as we have and lived? Go near and you listen, Moses, to everything the Lord our God says. Then you could tell us everything the Lord our God tells you and we'll listen and obey. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. He said, I've heard the words that these people have spoken to you. Everything they've said is right. If only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that they and their children would prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents. But you, Moses, you stand here with me and I'll tell you every command, the statutes and ordinances that you're to teach them so that they may follow them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. I think we 
Yeah, we can't miss the importance of what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5 to 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew, I think he spots it, and he purposely crafts this portion of his gospel so that we don't miss it either, so that we catch it. Here's the parallels. Here's the similarities. In Deuteronomy, a man goes up a mountain. The mountain's all ablaze. It's wrapped in thick darkness, and there's constant thunder and lightning and the blast of heavenly trumpets that get louder and louder, and earthquake rolling into earthquake as God has descended on the mountain. And it seems as if the creation itself is going to just burst apart in the pristine presence of the thrice holy God. And the people will not draw near. And what's more, they've been commanded by God not to draw near. And that even if an animal should touch the mountain, it should be stoned. And God calls Moses up that mountain, but the book of Hebrews says that he even trembled with fear. And then God speaks, not to the people directly, but to their mediator, to Moses. In fact, the people beg Moses to go in and hear the word for them, to receive God's word and pass it on to them, because they're sure if they hear any more, they're going to die. God gives a law of Ten Commandments, inscribes them on those tablets of stone, and then he adds no more in the hearing of the people. Those commandments were to be the way of the people of God. The commandments are the narrow road that marked the Israelites off from all the other peoples of the world. In keeping them, there's life and reward and blessing, and in breaking them, there's death and punishment and curse. The rest of the teaching, Moses alone received, and then he passed it on to God's people. So that's the first sermon. And in Matthew 1.23, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he reminds us of a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14, which says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the beginning of his public ministry, where we started at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.1, it said, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So notice the similarities and the differences of those two sermons on mountains. Jesus goes up a mountain, just like Moses, but this mountain isn't all on fire and about to break apart. What's changed? Because God's still there on the mountain in Jesus. Well, God has become man. That's what changed. The incarnation is what has changed the mountain. Amazingly, that same fiery, terrifying, and holy God that we saw in Deuteronomy has become man that he might tabernacle among the people. The incarnation is God saying, I'm making my way to you. I'm at your level now. You, you can actually approach me now. And I can dwell among you and you could draw near to me. That's what he's saying to us. And the people do, right? His disciples follow him up the mountain instead of standing far off in fear. They come real close to him. Like rabbis back then taught sitting down. So they come close enough that they could hit, hear the sitting man teach. They want to know what God has to say to them. They want to hear it with their own ears. They aren't begging for no other words to be spoken to them. What's God going to say to them? God is going to speak face to face with his people. No mediator, 
No veiled manifestations of God, just the exact imprint of the nature and will of God in the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus does speak. What wonderful words of life he speaks. What we've been looking at these many weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, he delivers his manifesto, his uh, public declaration of the policy and aims of the Lord of the land. First, he started out with, at the beginning, what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom, what we are as citizens. This is an impossible thing to become in our own strength because how can spiritually dead men, women, children be anything other than dead if the spirit doesn't move first? We enter through the narrow gate, and that gate is Christ. The gate is Christ himself. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you go through the gate. You're saved from God's wrath against your sin. You're saved as the Spirit grants you repentance unto life. You're saved as God gives you faith as a free gift. The gate is so narrow. It's a narrow gate. It is so narrow. It is a a one-at-a-time gate. You don't come through, kids. You don't come through with your family. We don't come through with our church tradition. You don't come through with your mentor. You don't come through with your spouse. You come through alone. Every person has to come through that gate alone. The road can be traveled as a company. We do that together. But the gate is the thing we each must go through alone. And it's so narrow that only you can go through. Like you can't come through with your pride. You've got to leave that. You can't come through with your excuses for your sin. You've got to leave that. You can't come through with your love of the world and the things of the world. You've got to leave that behind. You'll come through, spiritually speaking, quite naked and embarrassed. But there's the righteousness of Christ, his clothing waiting for you on the other side. You go through the gate, and you are a citizen. And after Jesus has established what we are, what we need to be, then he elaborates on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what a a lot of the Sermon on the Mount has been. Jesus elaborating on the Ten Commandments to show us what we must do as citizens. And he gives us the true heart and depth of the commandments as God envisioned them. And that's the road that leads to life. This way of doing, flowing out of what we are as new beings, new creations, is the road that leads to life. This is the king's highway to Emmanuel's land. Obedience is the road to life. Then he warns them, the part we've entered into today. He warns them, and he warns us. He warns his people. That's the crazy thing to think about. He warns his disciples. He warns you. He's warning me. His warning to enter through the narrow gate and walk on the narrow road is addressed to a narrow audience. He's not in these warnings addressing like the unbelieving world out there or something. He's addressing his people. Because just like the Israelites in Sinai, it's the people of God. That's who's there. And on the Sermon on the Mount, the disciples have followed him up the mountain. That's who's there. That's who's he, who he's warning. And he warns us, few of you will find it. That's a warning to take heed of. Few of you will find it. 
Many will walk the broad road to destruction, Jesus says. Many will be seduced by false prophets. Many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this or that? And he says, I never knew you. Many will build their lives on sand by not doing what he says and be swept away. Therefore, heed his warning and give your utmost attention on the road to life that you might be among the few who find the narrow gate and walk the narrow way. How good it is that God came down a second time on a second mountain to preach a second sermon. How good it is that he made himself approachable to us in his humanity. How good it is that he wants to dwell right with his people, by his spirit, right with us. And one day, Jesus face to face in heaven and deal directly with us. But let's not forget, it's on his terms, it's according to his word. And after all, as we just read, if you're doing the Bible reading plan, I think it was on Thursday, we read Psalm 2, about God's appointed king in Zion. It says this, Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, or pay homage to him, how you would a king, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all those who take refuge in him. For added resolve on our narrow way, I want to delve into the two prophets of the two sermons. And what I hope we'll see from this section is that we're to give greater attention to the second prophet than even the Jews give to their prophet Moses in order that we give our utmost attention on the road to life. So here's kind of the the similarities here. God appointed Moses as his prophet and leader in the rescuing of Israel from Egyptian slavery and the formation of them into a distinct nation with their own laws, their own customs, and religious distinction. And similarly, God appointed Jesus as his prophet, and leader in the rescuing of the true Israel of God from the slavery of sin and the formation of them into a distinct race. A royal priesthood, Peter says, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the appointment of Moses is not like the appointment of the Son. Listen to Hebrews 3, 5 to 6. We won't flip there just for time, but you can write it down. Hebrews 3, 5 to 6 says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. So you see the distinction there. Moses the servant, Christ the son. And and Moses was testifying to the things about Jesus. One of the things he testified was in Deuteronomy 18. You could flip there. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see his great fire any longer so that we'll not die. Then the Lord said, they've spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I'll put my words in his mouth and he'll tell them everything I command him. 
I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. So Moses is saying, like, it's going to be different when this other prophet comes. When he says, you must listen to him, he's signifying that the superior prophet is going to come with a superior word. And that's why the New Testament refers to the Mosaic Covenant as like a tutor or a babysitter, basically. It's not the final thing. It was just the shadow of the substance. The substance is Christ. Christ is the narrow gate into true fellowship with God. And Peter, he grabs this prophecy from Deuteronomy 18 in Acts 3, 22 to 23. I'm connecting lots of dots this morning, so hopefully you're able to track. Peter grabs this prophecy and he applies it to Jesus. I'm going to read it from ESV because I think it's more clear than in the church Bibles. So, Peter, in the New Testament, talking about Jesus, using that Deuteronomy 18 passage, said, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Two more passages that drive this home are in Hebrews. That's over in page 1061. In the church Bibles, if you want to flip there, or you could just write them down and listen. 1061, Hebrews 2, 1 to 3. It says this. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away from it. For if the message spoken through angels proved legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's understood from this passage, like understood uh, historically and by guys who study the Bible deeply. Uh, It's understood from this passage that even though Moses was summoned up the mountain to be the mediator of God's law to the people, he, being only a man, was also mediated to by angels. So it was like God to the angels to Moses to the people. That's what this is talking about. So the point is, is if the first sermon, the first message that involves so many mediators carried such weight that every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or punishment, how much more the message that comes straight from the source, straight from Jesus' lips. Or over a bit further in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we deliberately go on sinning, that means, so we all sin. We all still sin. We're all Christians and we all still sin. We need grace for forgiveness and to keep going. If you deliberately keep on sinning, that's the the sort of I've got grace, I'm going to sin attitude. That's what it's talking about. I'm going to sin. I'm not trying to fight my sin. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy, based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, there's the contrast. 
If disregarding the law of the servant brought such swift justice, how much more the law of the son? So Moses has told us in Deuteronomy, Peter has told us in Acts, and God has told us at Jesus' transfiguration, we must listen to the son. If you won't listen to the son, you don't belong to him. If you aren't striving, that's the key word, if you aren't striving, not perfection, if you aren't striving to obey him, you aren't on the road. You're not. And you should quit kidding yourself. You need to get through the gate and get on the road. On the other hand, do you love the word of God and you delight to get under it and submit all the areas of your life to it? You're seeking to do that. Are you striving to obey what you've been hearing from the Sermon on the Mount? Is the greatest driving aim of your heart to hear these words at the end of your life? Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you long to know him more deeply and experience him more truly and please him more fully? Do you love his children and want their greatest good and long to be with them? Can you echo the psalmist who says, when can I go be with the saints? They're the beautiful ones in the land. Do you loathe yourself? That is, what remains of your corrupt self. Do you glory in Christ Jesus by his spirit? Then then you should take heart, because that's the way of the narrow road that is entered through the narrow gate, as determined by the greater prophet. The last parallel I want to look at is that of the blessings and curses of the two covenants that each sermon ushered in. So back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30 Uh, 15, Deuteronomy 30, 15. Kids are doing great, doing awesome. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20. See today, this is Moses, see today, I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you don't listen, and you're led astray and you bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you're entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today, Israel, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him. For he is your life, and he will prolong your days as long as you live in the land. The Lord your God swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think we should notice from this that God doesn't give suggestions. That's not what this book is. It's not a book of suggestions. When God speaks, that's what's up. In his words, there's always life and prosperity, death and curse, death and adversity, and that's determined by our response to his word. Will we love the Lord our God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, statutes, and ordinances, or will we turn our hearts away, not listen, bow and worship to other things and serve them. Every Sunday, we are making that decision. Every time we read our Bibles, 
we are obliged to respond. We won't look at it now because it's way too much, but back in Deuteronomy 27, starting at verse 9, I'll kind of just run through it really quick. And yeah, don't read it before bed. It'll definitely give you nightmares. It's not tuck-in time material. So Deuteronomy 27.9, the people of Israel were divided onto two mountains. Half were on Gerizim for the blessing. The other half were on Ebal for the curse. The Levites pronounced the curse for any Israelite who would break the covenant, and the people would respond, Amen. And then they went through the blessings that would come if they obeyed the terms of the covenant. And after that, for 53 horrific verses, Moses described the curses that would come upon the covenant breakers. This was a covenant framed in terms of if-then. The old covenant was like, if you do this, then I'll do this. God's saying that. And if you do that, then I'll do that. But it's not so with the eternal blood covenant that Jesus authored. authored. The new and better covenant is framed in with wording like, I will make. God's saying that. I will cause. I will put. With God as the originator and sustainer of our faith, ultimately. Like, flip ahead to page 701. We just read this also on Thursday. It's one of my favorite passages, 701 in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 38. 701. This is, in the Old Covenant, a promise of how the New Covenant was going to play out. Jeremiah 32, 38. And notice the emphasis on God's initiative. 32, 38. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them integrity of heart and action so that they will fear me always for their good and for the good of their descendants after them. I will make a permanent covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me into their hearts so that they'll never turn away from me. I will take delight in them to do what is good for them. And with all my heart and my mind, I will faithfully plant them in the land. So that being said, even though the new covenant is ultimately succeeds or fails based on the initiative of God, it still comes with blessings and curses. If we go back to Matthew now, this is our last flip, Back to Matthew where we began in the Beatitudes. Those are the blessings, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. You get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. You get comforted. Blessed are the humble. You inherit the earth. These are the great and wonderful blessings that accompany the one who has entered into that eternal blood covenant by the narrow gate. Then at the end of the sermon, the passage, the part that we just entered into today, 7.13, it talks about the curses that will come upon the one who doesn't live by the new covenant, the one who doesn't walk on the narrow road. So we have it, like in both the old and the new, blessings and curses, life and death. But what are we, what are we supposed to do with all this? That's what I want to kind of paint the scene for the next coming sermons. What are we supposed to do with all this? Because what's it mean? Because remember, in both Deuteronomy and in Matthew, these sermons are addressed to God's people. So 
like they're not addressed to the unbelieving heathen out there or something like that. What, what the world is going on, it's to God's people. What are we talking about with blessings and curses for God's people? Life and death for God's people. Warning God's people. What's going on? We need to remember, and I think this is the essence of Jesus' warnings in these four examples. There is always a visible people of God and an invisible people of God. In Israel, there was the visible nation. They were Israelites. You could see them. But then scattered throughout that is the few invisible, true people of God with faith like Abraham's. Just the same, there's the visible church. So many groups that call themselves church. So many people that profess Jesus as Lord. And yet, they're not part of the invisible, true church. And they show it because they just won't do what he says. They could talk all day about having gone through the narrow gate. One time when I was seven, I accepted Jesus. One time when they talk about going through the gate, but they prove they're liars because they walk the wide way, the whatever-you-want way. So these warnings are for us, Calvary. These warnings are for our good. Jesus is warning each individual person here this morning, from the youngest to the oldest, to take heed, to consider your way, examine ourselves. For there are many, he says, many of the visible church who go to destruction on the broad road. The Lord tells us there will be many self-professed Christians in hell. Many. That's the word he uses. He says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Few of you, my disciples. That's who he's talking to. This is the alarming thing. Have you gone through the narrow gate? Are you walking the narrow way? Nothing else in all of your life is so important as getting that right. So I'm just going to pray and then Cam can come up and lead us through uh, communion. Jesus, I thank you that you are straight up. I thank you that you tell us all the good things that you have waiting for us. And I thank you that you tell us about all the trials and tribulations that we must walk through to get there. I thank you that you make with your people an eternal blood covenant that you will not break. And I thank you that you put the fear of you in our hearts so that we just can't ultimately fall away from you. That even with our ups and downs, you keep drawing us back by your spirit. And so I pray that your word, your warning, would activate faith in all of us this morning and help us to walk your narrow road with diligence with each other, and encourage one another all the more as we see your day approaching. Pray these things for Jesus' glory, which always results in the good of his people. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.